there's always this thing called a gift of injury. Exactly what gift is this week's guest talking about? That answer coming up next. Welcome to Happily Ever Active, where we crack the consistency code with fitness tips on motivation, mindset, and much, much more. Now, here's your host, author of Feel Like It, and the guy with the silent O, Kelly Dell. All right, let's get back at it for another episode on the mental side of active living. My name is Kelly, and welcome to an interview edition of the show. And look, if you're going to live an active life, you're going to have some setbacks. There's the pulls and the tears and the breaks and that sort of thing. And to a large degree, all of these things come with the territory, come with any fitness journey. And I'll bet there are some of you right now who are restricted because of an injury and getting some cabin fever because of it. Well, the healing and the recovery process isn't just physical, is it? It can be a mental grind. There's a big mental component to it. That's why I'm happy to have on my guest today. He's a respected rehab specialist here in Ottawa who treats elite and recreational athletes alike. He and his staff at Active Health Institute have conversations on the daily about the psychological challenges of life on the sidelines. And there can be a lot of moving parts to being injured or trying to get back into the action the way that we want to be. So to shed some light on these dynamics, we're going to hear from Dr. Shane Young. First, for whatever reason, Northwestern Ontario is getting some special treatment on the show, now represented by its second guest, the first being Carly Tardiff. Meanwhile, Shane grew up in, of all places, a town called Marathon, so his affinity towards fitness seemed pretty destined if you ask me. And after studying kinesiology at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, he then graduated from the Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College. He lived a pretty sporty life as a kid and fell in love with outdoor activities, including mountain biking, which he still does today. And he's also a golfer, which, in his field of work, at least to me, seems pretty ideal to find clients. Anyhow, his clinic is super well-rounded. It offers a balance of services, including acupuncture, personal training, physiotherapy, and even concussion management services which we kind of touch on in our interview, actually. Active Health also has this thing called the recovery room with several types of technology to aid in recovery after events or between workouts. And several of my running friends have actually taken advantage of it. So it sounds and looks pretty cool. Needless to say, with all of that being said, Shane is a wonderful resource to tap into on injury and recovery, and I'm happy he could join me. So without further ado, let's have a listen. Shane, thank you for joining me. And I have to ask right off the bat, when was the last time that you personally faced an injury and what was the rehab process like for you? Oh, that's a good question. I am, uh, I'm actually still, still rehabbing a injury from about year and a half ago, I would say. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm around like 95%, I would say. I'm pretty finicky for myself though, just because of my background and, who I am, but it, yeah, it kind of originally started off with my uh, low back. Ironic enough for a chiropractor to be dealing with low back pain, but uh, yeah, that kind of started off a year and a half ago, and I've been consistently working on uh, my movement habits, posture, how I sit, how I do things while I'm practicing at work, and then also trying to continue to stay, I'd say, maintenance strong. Not to gain more strength, but to stay strong enough and uh, just consistently working at it. A lot of injuries that we see 
when people come in and they think, oh, like I have an injury, I'm going to get better in X amount of time. And then I'm done with it. If you are an athlete and you're coming in to see me, the chances of you re-aggravating or re-injuring yourself is always there, right? I always tell people, don't expect to be perfect afterwards. Yes, there's a chance that you can be, but there's a higher likelihood that you're going to be injured again because you're going to go back into the same rink, onto the same road, off to the same mountain, whatever it may be, and you're going to be pushing your body to the same limits. But now you're going to have that little kink in the armor that we're going to try and stitch up as best as we possibly can, but that weakness will still be there. So you're still going to be having to work and you're just going to have to be cognizant and smart about how you approach things going forward. So like I said, it's been a year and a half for me. By the average standard, am I healed? Probably, but I'm still aware of how I move. I still make it a habit of watching how I do certain things. And so I'd say I'm still rehabbing. It's almost like a alcoholic almost, right? It's like you're always an alcoholic. I wouldn't say you're always injured, but you change your mentality a little bit. You become smarter. You learn things. And then you apply those concepts to your, your movement going forward. So there's always this thing called a gift of injury that you can learn these things and then you just apply them through your life. Like if you get injured and you don't learn anything about that injury, you're just going to probably end up in the same spot. But if you take it as a learning in, uh, situation, you're going to be able to come back a little bit stronger and smarter at the same time. Well, let's trade some battle stories here because I had a lower back injury playing ultimate frisbee and even as and this is one of these phenomenon that maybe you come across too even as we're talking about it talking about your back and i'm you know aware of back injuries i can feel exactly where there was that trauma and Mm -hmm. uh, and i can completely relate personally on a personal level on how you aren't ever necessarily the same and it does require ongoing attention but through that process there is wisdom about the limits of what you can do and just being able to care for yourself in a different way. When I went through that process, I was super cautious. I dare I say I was afraid, even though the therapy that I was getting made me feel better and I kind of felt ready physically, but there was this mental side where it's like, I don't know. Like, for example, I never really went back to ultimate again because I just thought this was just too intense for me and for my back. And I've never really gone back again. So tell me a Mm -hmm. little bit more about that side of things of people who are dealing with this physical trauma, this injury. It's not always a trauma per se, but this injury and then having to go back and the mental side of that process. I can give you a direct example from last week. I had a uh, weightlifter come in to see me and her back has been uh, on and off for a period of about six months now that she's still been able to do some training with some limitations. But there's always been these periods of time where she's had increased amounts of pain. And so we've been working at trying to adapt, increase some rehab, decrease certain stresses. And it's been a tough go for her. And when I saw her last week, she ended up pulling out of uh, competition. That was just last week. And uh, she was, she was pretty distraught about it. And uh, she knew that it was the right decision. But at the same time, I could tell that as we're talking, that the tears are kind of like just in the background, right? Like it's, it's really emotional. And this is like her first time that she's dealt with this type of stuff to face your fears doesn't come naturally to people, even from a high level perspective too, right? 
you get frustrated and then you get scared. So all this doubt starts to creep into your mind, right? You know, you're talking about some of the, the impacts uh, mentally and the identity of being a high level athlete or whatever the, the domain is mm-hmm. becomes really threatened, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You just start to question yourself and yes, I'm a manual therapist and I work with my hands, but 50% of what I do is how I talk to people and how I respond to certain things that they, they tell me. I don't just brush off, oh, I'm really worried about how I'm going to get back into the gym. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me just continue working on your back, right? Like once that little thing is said, we got to switch gears here and we have to address this. And so I ran her through some tests, but at the same time, I'm trying to trying to alleviate some of that fear by giving her things that she can work on mm-hmm. to give her that confidence to be like, okay. Let me take one step, then I'll take that second, and then the third. It's a very gradual process. But if you do things in a systematic manner, then you have a higher chance of getting to where you need to be. You touched on something I think is really important uh, in a lot of respects, not just with injury, but the idea of setting yourself up for some early wins to get a, comp- a level of confidence in the process. Let's take a runner, for example. Oh, my knee's feeling great. Perfect. Continue with your exercises. We'll talk about gradual turn to run the next time. He came back and, oh my God, my knee is just completely aggravated again. What happened? I was doing some high intensity intervals. No, we just talked about gradual return. I was going to get you on a walk jog interval program. You just skipped five steps. So you missed those little confidence boosters and you just put yourself back down to zero. Your software and your hardware need to be rebooted and you need to be running a very primary program to begin with. And then you get back to where you were before. I think a lot of listeners can relate to that of finally feeling good or pain-free. And now you get to finally get back to doing the thing that you love to do and uh, finding it difficult to still tap the brakes. That transition must be challenging. I Almost like two parts to that. You can take a recreational weekend warrior, and then you can take a, an elite athlete. The weekend warrior and recreational athlete, sometimes, in, in some ways, a little bit of the harder type because you don't have any sort of oversight or accountability to make sure that that person's doing what you want them to do. And then on the other side, if you take your elite athlete, and if you're lucky enough with them, they may have a coach. And if they have a good coach, I'll always get the information from that athlete. I need to give them my synopsis of what your assessment was and what my suggestions are to your return to your sport. And then they can take that and apply that to your running program, lifting program, return to ice, whatever it may be, so that there's that line of communication so that I know outside of the clinic, you're getting looked at and you're doing the right things. So it's a there's difficulties in both sides of the equation with it, but uh, it, it's a tough one for sure. And there's plenty of times people come back, you know what, I did that 20 minute walk jog, one minute off, one minute on, and I was feeling good. And you know what, I just thought, ah, I'm just going to go for that extra like five minutes. And it kind of re-aggravated a little bit. Yeah, you're, you're in a danger zone. Your nervous system can attenuate pain pretty quickly. You can get out of pain pretty fast, but your tissues 
physiologically are still healing. They're still going through that process. And the setback in the, in these instances that you're describing can be as mentally debilitating or difficult as the original injury, right? Because of all of the time invested in getting to the point where you can get mobile and, and you know take the runner kind of running again. And then the setback, like, oh, it feels like you might go back to square one. That's a, that's a head check right there. You just got to slow down the conversation because you can see that they're looking at you to be, to explain this to me, right? Like, why did this happen? For a lot of elite athletes, they're taking pretty meticulous notes depending on what they're doing, right? So I'll say, let's open up your book. Let's take a look here. So I can see this type of load might have been a little bit too much when combined that you maybe cleaned out the garage over the weekend. (laughs) And so. You have to slow yourself down. And it's really, really hard for a lot of people who live their life, go, go, go. And so I have to try my best to force them to slow it down. Yes, you may have had this goal of running your half marathon three weeks from now, and we were getting to that point, but there's there's still this process that still needs to be followed. And if you exceed it, that's going to mess that up. So Sometimes for an athlete to miss a hard deadline for a competition or a race or a game or something like that can be huge for them in their athletic career. I can imagine some of these elite athletes who, you know, again, a lot of their identity is being that athlete. And then, you know, let's say you do hurt your back on the ice playing hockey. It's not just hockey. Absolutely. There's plenty of personalities that come into the office that differ greatly. Like I'll take my dad as an example. He's a super active guy where he does a lot of manual work. Like he loves to be in the bush and cut firewood and build buildings and all this type of stuff. He's not necessarily athletic, but his personality is the point where why do I have to watch how I move? Right. It's, it ta- it's hard for him to understand that process. So how I approach him and instead of being like, okay, listen. We got to, we got to slow it down. We got to like watch your hip hinge angles. We got to make sure that your femoral angles are moving quite well in a width, like all these types of technical terms. And I have to just switch my head as to how I can communicate with that type of guy because there's plenty of individuals like that. And I need to say like, okay, listen, we're going to, we're going to take this super simply. I'm going to treat your back today. Let's see how you feel. And if, going forward that they start to realize like, holy crap, like what this guy is saying is making sense. Like I do have to watch and I'll put these little tidbits, these little breadcrumbs through my conversation, right? Like, oh, you know, when you go home today, like put a little pillow behind your back, your posture is going to change how your back feels, right? I'm like, oh, okay, sounds good. And then I'll get them to do these little tiny steps along the way that kind of may incorporate what I would do fully in one appointment with a athlete. And they get it, but for these other individuals, I can't just throw it in a kitchen sink at these individuals, but you gotta, you gotta take that, that slow approach and make them understand and be like, okay, this guy knows who he's talking about. Yeah. And I'm like, how many people listening right now are checking their posture and thinking, oh man, I'm slouching right now. <laughs> I can't, I don't think I've, I could talk to a chiropractor without being really self-aware of like, oh, yeah. how, how <laughs> am I sitting right now? How am oh, I standing? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. It happens all the time with people. <laughs> like this is what, it's an interesting topic because on the mental side, I mean, the physical side it has 
a lot of different directions too. I mean, I'm just listening to you talk about your back injury. And I know when I got injured and I'm sure people listening will have gone through the same experience that like when I went to see chiropractor and then got physio, I'm kind of a geek with this stuff. I want to learn like, what is it? Where, what? And then in between all of these visits and whatever, and I'm doing the things that are asked of me, I'm, I'm researching it. I'm, I'm, I'm learning more about that insertion point of that muscle and all yep. of this, whatever. Um, do you find that people really get into that side of things and that it helps? Yeah, absolutely. One of the easiest things I can do is pull up my phone and I have an anatomy app and I'll always do my assessment. I'll talk about what's happened. I'll be like, here, let me pull up my app. I'll show you the exact muscle, tendon, cartilage, whatever it is. And they're like, they'll always be like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like I've never really seen the human body like this before. Cause I can explain it and it makes sense in my head, but to the other person, they're like, I don't know. I can't picture what you're telling me. And I'll just pull it up on my phone and they're like, Oh, this makes total sense. Now I can see it. I can visualize it. And that patient education is so important. Like I'll put in a bunch of extra time just to make sure that people understand what's happening. I had a guy, really, really cool case where he lost almost a hundred pounds. And now he's taking up running and he wants to run like uh, ultra races, almost like Ray Zahab that you just, uh, that you just interviewed. Not to maybe that extent, but he wants to start getting towards that. And so he's super driven, but he is, he's telling me, he's looking me straight in the eyes, like whatever. He's like, I need a, I need a coach. I need a guide to show me and teach me about my body. Whatever you tell me, I'm doing it a thousand percent. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I love individuals that come to me and they're just like so invested. He's like, what are the top muscles here? I'm like, that's your quadricep group. And I'm going through every individual muscle in your quadricep group. This is your hamstring. I'm going through the the anatomy app with him. I'm getting excited. He's getting excited about it. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, I love when people are geeks and nerds and they want to learn about it and they have good questions instead of just fix it. Let's change that strut in the car and then it's fine. It's good to go. So I love getting individuals that are, like you said, that geeks and nerds that want to research and I'll send them some like easy articles to read and I'll send them to other professionals too that are specific for like foot mechanics because I have this network of people around me mm-hmm. and I can just be like, listen, you want, you want to dive into this deep? Go see this person. You know, and, and you brought up one thing too about bringing up the app and talking about how things function, why there's pain or whatever. And uh, I'm reminded of uh, a couple of years ago, I had um, a bit of Achilles injury. Once I, I took a leap up in the volume of my running and I, my, my Achilles rejected it. <laughs> I had to go through this uh, sort of deep tissue massage and it was really painful. Um, it's not about avoiding pain. This pain is uh, an important bit of data in this sort of process. So tell me a little bit more about the role of pain and sometimes you need to feel pain, which is, of course, out of our typical comfort zone in order to feel how you want to later. A lot of people ask me, oh, should I be taking some type of NSAIDs or painkillers or anything like that? And I say, you know what? If you can deal with your pain, I would prefer you to not take it because it'll show you what to do and what not to do after I explain a few more things to you, right? So there's certain areas of the bodies where some pain is good, some pain is not good. Like let's take uh, your back 
and your shoulder. So you take your low back. I prefer there to be next to no pain while you're rehabbing, while you're moving. But if you take your shoulder, for example, and you're having like a biceps tendinopathy that's happening, yeah, if you're doing some bicep curls, you're doing some overhead pressing and you're hitting just that end range of movement or that last little load and you start to get a little bit of ache in that area, I'm okay with that. But if you're applying that to say like a performance setting and you're running and your knee starts to get a little bit aggravated and you know like like I gotta I gotta go for another like 5k that's a great indicator to say you know what your tissues are not ready to push past this point you've already passed through your physiological threshold which you're not aware of and you are now you're moving into the neurological pain which is like that's like the last portion that you should be watching so that's like your last warning indicator before things just blow up so your pain is important to a degree, for sure. You need to listen to it. You need to respect it. And you need to understand it. A lot of people, they don't like pain. They hate pain. But I'm like, you need to, you need to learn what is the difference between that good pain and that bad pain. And you don't know until you've lived with it for a certain amount of time. So... It's again, too, it goes back to learning. If it was a, this deep tissue type of therapy that you could be getting that, that's a different type of pain, right? Where it's like a lot of people will say, Oh, that's, that hurts good. Like it hurts so good type mm -hmm. of feeling. And you're like, yeah, that's what we want in terms of your therapy. So pain, pain's important and it needs to be regulated properly. And if you're not guided properly enough, you just think, Oh my God, this is just bad, 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 bad. Yeah, and that must be a, a fascinating conversation to have um, because, as you as you put it, pain means different things at different points in the journey and mm -hmm. during different activities. And the objective to be pain free when you're back, you know, when you're back on the ice playing your your first game back. I mean, you know, should be pain free. I would imagine. I mean, this is not a time to. Mm -hmm to say like, oh, I think I'm ready. It's, uh, it's an interesting uh, situation that you can get yourself into between a team type setting and individual type setting, right? Like for nowadays, for you, I believe you're, you're kind of running a little bit more, correct? Mm -hmm, yeah. Compared to when you were playing ultimate in that team setting. So you're much more capable and confident to be able to pull yourself out of an individual sport because all you're affecting is yourself. And then you get into that team type setting and now you start to feel a little bit of pain. You're like, you know what? There's other people that are depending on me. It's not just me here. And it's just, mm -hmm. a, it's just a little bit of pain, right? It's not, it's not bad. I can still play through it. And then you continue to go and then you're like, oh, it's getting close to the game here. Like we need that last couple points, whatever it may be, or we need to pay, play more defense. And you're just like, ah, oh, the pain's getting a little, but you know what? There's only five more minutes. And then you go, and then at the end of it, it's just blown right up, right? So, you know what? I should have probably pulled myself back, but I couldn't because other people were depending on me, and I did not want to let them down. Oh, man, and there's so much uh, at play there, too. There's the culture of the sport, the, oh, yeah. the team setting, the social thing. I'm right As you're talking, I'm thinking of these uh, heralded moments in elite sport, pro sports, where uh, athletes kind of persevere through something that you know the everyday person probably wouldn't even attempt you know like there yeah. was the i remember uh, in the 90s michael jordan dropped like 40 some points when he had the flu 
yeah. in a playoff game. And then Kurt Schilling had the bloody sock during the World Series in the early 2000s. And, you know, this was a oh, yeah. heroic things that people are like, yep. you know. And that's, you know, that's totally different, too, because that's like you're getting down to the World Series. You're getting down to Stanley Cup. If I'm the practitioner and your life isn't at risk, all right. <laughs> We'll we'll just we'll we'll do that injection. We'll get you. We'll numb the hell out of it, right? And yeah. you just go and do you because a week from now it's all going to be over, and you're going to have months to be able to rehab afterwards, right? So it's like, okay, go and get it, right? But that's a totally different beast for that one. But for the other side of us, where we have jobs, we have families, and we got to be able to do these type of things, not totally worth it. No, not at all. Not yeah. totally worth it at all. <laughs> yeah. But it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because here we have, you know, in these team environments and let's, you know, it doesn't have to be as much of a spotlight as the World Series or the NBA Finals, whatever. But you have things to consider like, well, what, you know, my, my coach is maybe putting pressure or the social element to all of this is uh, fascinating to me. And even to the point where, you know, I'm sure you have athletes who come through the office, uh, whether they're hockey players are some playing some other team sport and they're going through this process um, as a team playing as team sport, but then being pulled out of that sport to kind of go through this, which is could be a really lonely process where they're separated from their team in a lot of ways. And there's a whole other aspect of the impact of injury on that part of daily life. Again, to another, another case and he had a concussion. And so his symptoms actually decreased very rapidly. But again, too, there's this kind of physiological and metabolic healing that still needs to occur afterwards, even though that uh, the symptoms disappear pretty quickly. But he was taken out of that environment. And with concussions, you got to be a little bit more careful. Because if you go back, if you blow your knee up in hockey, yeah, you can go sit in the stands and everything like that. But with a concussion, high noise and the, the lights and all the conversations around you can really exacerbate some of your symptoms. So you got to like, you got to watch and be like, okay, you know what? Go and grab a, go grab a coffee or go grab, like hang out with one of your buddies. And then when the symptoms start to decrease, it's like, okay, get back in the rink, right? Like sit up in the stands, like go into the change room, be able to socialize because you need to be able to treat that side of the things too, because they've just grown up their entire lives, always being around their friends and their coaches. And so to just rip them out of there is necessary for a certain amount of time, but you also need to treat that sociolo sociological side of things too. Just like, you know what? Your well-being to me is not just your injury, your physical injury. It's also, I need to get you back to do with your friends, with your teammates so that you can feel like you're a part of something again and that you want to be able to push yourself through your rehab. That's again, really important for me when I'm, when I'm treating that team, that team-based individual. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I would never even thought about it, depending on the injury too, right? I mean, the concussion and the, the stimuli to do with that. That's a fascinating case, actually. And when you're talking about like these uh, younger athletes, and I always wonder, um, I don't have any real evidence to point to this, but this is just what I've heard. The manifestation of injuries now could be somewhat linked to specializing in sports so you know, a little bit too early, early where you lose yeah. a bit of the um, cross training and whatnot. And I know mm -hmm. being a runner now, I do a variety of things and I know a lot mm -hmm. of people out there will do a variety of things, but that's not always the case. There are some people who get really locked into one thing. Tell me a little bit about the importance of doing other things or, you know, let's call it cross training or whatever, or, right. or just avoiding that pure specialization and 
in order to prevent injuries or to even be better at the thing that you're doing? It's, it's super important. Um, these days, a lot of people, they do a really good job as to cross training. And it's not like it was 20 years ago where you thought specialization within a certain sport is the best way of going about it. Um, yes, there's still plenty of parents that'll push their kids to be specialized in the, to focus on a single sport. But coaches these days, they're like, they're understanding now that, you know what? Yeah, he's really, really great at this sport. But you know what? In the summertime, like play baseball, play soccer in the wintertime, do a little bit of skiing. Parents are understanding that better as well, too. Most people that I see, and it's a, it's a skewed population too because of it's just who comes into the clinic, right? My kids aren't old enough yet where I've experienced standing in the stands with other parents and seeing that other kind of like ugly side of, of specialization where you like that dad looks like he's going to rip his son's head off because he didn't score a goal tonight, right? And, but more and more, I'm seeing that people are understanding that you need to be able to diversify your sport portfolio. I honestly, I don't need to make that convert. I don't need to bring that conversation up too much. I'll switch gears maybe a little bit there. I'll probably say I need to get people to start thinking about some type of maintenance work because a lot of people do their sport. They might do their cross training outside of it, but they don't necessarily stretch or do stability work or do yoga or that type of gentle full body type of movement. It's a lot of high stimuli, uh, physical stress that's going into the body, right? And so you do need that opposite side of it's still movement, but it's more gentle. So it is a kind of a form of a rest. Yeah, it sounds like they're, you know, having things at a variety of intensity in your routine, not just high intensity sports specific stuff, high intensity cross training, and then nothing in between. It's including stuff at the lower intensities, which might not in quotations feel like a workout if you're an you're an athlete performing constantly at intense levels, but it's exactly. vital. Those things are important to the overall well-being of, of an athlete. Absolutely. That is, even if you can break it into the side of like individualization would be perfect. If there was a good standard to be able to assess uh, a particular athlete and give them exactly what they need to do, that'd be the best. It's almost, it's almost like if you're able to do individualized uh, medicine at, at some point, which is probably not too far down the road, right? Like you get your genetic profile made up and you understand like, yes, this type of medicine should be avoided for you, but then this one's going to be best so that it's not just a generic approach for that person. Uh, but if that existed for movement, uh, which is pretty difficult in my mind, that would be, that'd be the best for, for everybody. Yeah. Like yoga might not be good for you, but if you were to incorporate these kind of stability exercises, that would be good yeah. for you. Yeah. I like the idea of, you know, there's this idea of designer drugs, right? That, uh, are really matched with your genetic profile and all those factors. Well, mm -hmm. designer, uh, rehab programs and all these very specific personalized stuff that really meets who you are at these deeper levels um, would certainly yeah. be a big advancement. I talk about on my show about how to customize your routine to be as motivating as possible. And it's really, really individual specific, particularly yeah. when it comes to setting yourself up for ongoing 
motivation to get out there and, and get moving. And we're all looking for that. We're all looking for things that suit us best. I think generally we're always trying to push in that direction. So I'll be very curious when that sort of stuff comes out. <laughs> there are some things that are coming about these days. One of them is called the functional movement systems or FMS. That was uh, developed of, uh, 10, 15 years ago or so now, but it's a set of like seven individual movements and it's an objective measurement that you would score one, two, three on every single one. And if you were to score three on every single one, theoretically you're of optimal movement and then of injury prevention, right? But if you score a one or a two, it's like, okay, let's try and get these certain stretches or movements to be able to get you to a number three, right? Some of these, they kind of exist, but again, too, like everybody's body is built totally different, right? So maybe this person shouldn't be able to squat ass the grass, or maybe some people shouldn't have this much ankle mobility. Yeah, interesting. I'm, as everyone Googles now, functional movement systems is what well, was FMS, right? You said FMS. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone out there is Googling that fascinating stuff. And I think the push for as an individual, if you're looking at this, like I want something that is a fit for me as best as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, until those things are really accurate and have been validated time and time again, we're going to need to go and see someone who, you know, lack of a better word, is smarter than we are about this stuff. And that's why people like you exist. And one thing I'll I'll throw before you got to take off, Shane, is uh, when is the time for people to say, like, I need to go and see someone about this? Yeah, in a in a perfect world, if uh, if it was a new sport that you're taking up and you're just not too sure about it, finding a good movement practitioner would be your best bet. Just to assess your range of motion and your strength and your capabilities right off the bat would be ideal. But I, yeah, if anybody's dealing with a certain amount of pain that they just think is not right, jump on it right away because there's tons of people that have been like, oh, how long have you been dealing with this pain for? Ah, you know, it's probably been like a year and a half. And I'm like, you've been dealing with this for a year and a half and you've probably been making things a lot worse. Like we can't treat you for sure, but it would have been helpful if we would have got you in like yeah. the first three, four weeks of that. That would have been much better. So if you can jump on an injury right away, your chances of successful rehab and pain reduction goes up so, so much. So if you can get in like, you know, your Achilles injury, if you, if you can treat that, like the next day, your chances of uh, resolution of, of pain and your full capabilities of movement increase like five times. Like it's, it's so important, but a lot of people, they don't, they don't really realize that. So if you the moment that you start to feel some pain, you're just like a little bit unsure about it, go see somebody. Or if you're, uh, you're like my late grandfather who tore his bicep, uh, at one stage in his life and uh, never really got it looked oh. at, never had, it probably needed surgical repair and he would just pull it out at family gatherings to show off <laughs> this oh. freakish bicep that he had. And, you know, he started wearing it as a badge of honor. I don't, I, I would like to think those days of just gutting through it are done. We have all these great resources, yourself included in that. And I, I know you're doing great work here in the Ottawa region. And thank you so much for, you know, diving a little bit into the mental side of some of these things. I think it's really important. We get really locked into the physical process, but I know people mm-hmm. out there are going through a struggle on the mental side. And it's good to know that there are people out there who are really, you know, they've got these things on lockdown. So thank you so much, Shane, for taking the time and uh, good luck in future endeavors. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation, Kelly, and uh, all the best to you and your family as well.
All right, there goes Dr. Shane Young of Active Health Institute. Some great stuff from him today. And what a dynamic profession, wouldn't you say? Just a lot of things going on in a, in a clinic from day to day. And, you know, from a mental perspective, there's so much to learn on the front lines of injury and injury prevention and recovery and rehab and all of those things. And not only are you dealing with such a variety of injuries and even the severity of those injuries, but there's so much, uh, there's so many other things to consider in delivering quality care, not the least of which is understanding the mental side of all of it. And injuries can not only be frustrating, clearly, but they can be isolating. And it's clear having a competent and compassionate professional on your side can make the grind a little more bearable. So thanks again to you, Shane. Now I've got another interview edition of the show coming up next week with Dr. Jason Brooks. He's a rest and recovery expert who has some super compelling lessons for us from the world of emergency medicine. Talk about an area with a lot of moving parts. So. Stay tuned for that. Seriously, you're not going to want to miss it. He's one of the most philosophical and plugged-in guys you'll ever meet. In the meantime, that's all for me this week. I wish you a week ahead of motivating movement. And of course, until next time, here's to living happily ever active. This episode of Happily Ever Active has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more content on the mental side of fitness. Oh, and don't forget to rate and review the show. See you next time.